Welcome to Press Room on Radio Town. Presented by Garrard's Horse and Hound. Making shopping easier with their online store. The same extensive catalogue, the same keen prices online or over the phone. 1-800-060-896 or visit horseandhound.com.au. Good morning, everyone. Thanks for your company on Press Room, Monday the 23rd of October. As we head into another big weekend of, of racing, of course, highlighted by the Cox Plate at the Valley and, of course, uh, a top meeting as well in Sydney. Always interested in your thoughts, and I reckon you might have a few this morning as we work through the hour. You can uh, tweet me at Radio Tab Oz, or you can text me at 499 Punter. The number is 499 786837. Seven eight six eight three seven. You might have some news. You might have some views. Agree, disagree. You know the drill. Look forward to hearing from you during the course of the morning. And of course, don't forget the podcast. We tweet that out each week on the Radio Tab Oz link, or you can go to Spotify and search under Radio Tab. Again, thanks for your company. And of course, press room each and every Monday is brought to you with the compliments of Garrard's Horse and Hound. Well, today's opening remarks revolve around the harness racing world and what a weird world is the one I'm about to talk about. It's my belief that it's proposed to run the Inter-Dominion Grand Final at Albion Park at 5 to 6, 5.55pm on Saturday afternoon, December 16. Now, before you think that's the high point conclusion to a wonderful day of racing, no, it's race four on a 10-race night program. I'll repeat, 5.55pm in broad daylight when an underlight situation, of course, is obviously available. The Inter-Dominion Series is, or sadly maybe was, the most prestigious event in Australasian harness racing and not seen in Queensland since 2009 when an outstanding series was held at the former Gold Coast track. And for the sake of a turnover increase because of this earlier time slot, and I don't know if that's a given either, it will be run and won before we even know it. What a farce it's almost become the race 11 at Eagle Farm, which will only conclude minutes before. But where has this emanated from is the question to ask this morning. Racing Queensland or the Albion Park Harness Racing Club? They are the two and only two suspects. Surely the Metropolitan Club wouldn't be silly enough to come up with an idea that cuts across every commercial consideration to ensure the best possible crowd. The Inter-Dominion is always a wonderful night out, or maybe a wonderful day out. The suspense builds as the big race approaches, race by race. But obviously not the 2023 edition at Albion Park. Think of what would be a very common scenario. Just think about this. Looking forward to a great meal, a few drinks, and a great night of racing. We'll meet you around six o'clock. Ah, oh, bugger. We've just missed the main race. It's over. And a group of people gather around a table to come up with this 5.55pm start time. If the Inter-Dominion hasn't been bastardised enough in the last 20 years, this is just an, another unnecessary kick to push it into further irrelevance. You're listening to Press Room on Radio Tab. Interested in what you think about that? Inter-Dominion at 5.55 late in the afternoon. Ben Dorries, good morning. How are you? Good morning, David. Good, thank you. Now, one of your favourite horses, um, for a myriad of reasons, is Alligator Blood. Um, we've talked about this off-air before, about the whole story of Alligator Blood, the, the good parts and the bad parts. 
I want to talk about that this morning, but but first up, and I suppose, seeing I think this is happening today, tell us about this ongoing legal issue with alligator blood and the connections. Yeah, this is a fascinating one, David, and it will hit the Supreme Court, the um, Appeal Division of the Supreme Court today. Now, it's a little bit of a a convoluted um, situation, but I'll try and be as clear and concise as I can. Uh, Effectively, we remember Alligator Blood winning the uh, Magic Millions three-year-old guineas, the rich $2 million race. Subsequently, Alligator Blood was disqualified uh, for testing positive to traces of Eltranagist, a banned uh, substance and 1111 was promoted to be the new winner. Now, Alligator Blood's original owners um, basically took the matter uh, all the way to court and said, Look, as owners, we were never represented in this matter. Uh, the trainer didn't act for us. We, we never even got a say. Like, we, we couldn't even argue this. And as owners, we're the ones who've been deprived of more than a million dollars in prize money. Um, so last December in the Supreme Court, they actually had a judgment that came down strongly in their favour that basically said the disqualification of Alligator Blood from winning that race was voided um, because they basically agreed with the, you know, the owners' submissions that they, they never had a seat at the table. So it was quite a significant and wide-ranging decision, potentially, when you think of it, for owners all across Australia. Um, but look... In the intervening months, Alligator Blood has not been promoted to become the winner of, of that race on Racing Australia, uh, Racing Queensland, etc., etc. No, the original prize money was paid out to 11-11. Nothing was paid out to Alligator Blood. And, and the result hasn't been changed because it was then that decision was subject to appeal, um, which Racing Queensland and the Queensland Racing Integrity decision did. So that is the matter that is being heard in the Supreme Court today, which is... Um, quite ironic, really, seeing it's the start of Cox Plate Week mm. and um, Alligator Blood is the second favourite. Now, it's significant for a lot of reasons. I mean, we've discussed them on the show before in terms of owners' rights, etc., etc. But another thing, and I, I t- touched on this last week, incredibly, Alligator Blood and the great might and power have exactly the same career record at the moment. Both have 15 wins from 33 career starts and both have won seven Group 1s. So, I mean, the impetus of this is effectively this could edge... I mean, I don't think... I'm not saying that Alligator Blood is a better horse than Might and Power, but in terms of career wins, Group 1s, uh, this decision today, it won't be made today, but the arguments will made today, could actually edge Might and Power out of the history book. So, look, there'll be all sorts of things to play out there. I suspect um, it'll be Might and Legal argument today, um, but we watch this space um, for the next few months to see how that evolves, David. So, so, just to take take me back and take take the listeners back. So, today will be legal argument regarding the racing Queensland and Curic appeal against that judge's decision. Is that right? Yeah. Well, more than legal argument, it, it's the appeal that is actually being heard. But right. I think so. a lot of the matters that are being discussed will, you know, I've sort of written about. We we kind of know about, but they're being argued again. Uh, on an appeal basis, but look, I mean, it will be, a, you know, it'd be a fascinating decision, and it'd be a fascinating week, won't it, for Alligator Blood? I mean, this horse um, has had, you know, his story's had more twists and turns than an Agatha Christie novel. Let's face it. And look, David, I've actually done a piece, a, a big feature piece for RaceNet and News Corp uh, websites and and newspapers later in the week, basically just charting this extraordinary journey, going back and. It took me two or three days um, to do, but just going back and talking to people every step of the way, 
um, from that miraculous Sunshine Coast maiden win that we saw, I think, um, you know, a week after Christmas uh, in 2018, where, where Alligator Blood, who no one had ever heard of, uh, looked completely cast out the back of the field. It was It was dead set impossible to win from where he did and uh, somehow got up in the final stride. From that moment, you know, charting his whole career through kissing spine surgeries, trainer changes, mm. owner blow-ups, owner changes, seven group ones now, if you don't mind, and second favourite for the crew, for the uh, Cox Plate. So I think um, when that's published, David, not seeing my own praises too much, but it's, it'll be a highly readable piece, I think, and with some fascinating insights from pretty much everyone who's been a part of this horse's journey along the way. I shouldn't say everyone. I mean, I don't have limited, unlimited space. It's been impossible to talk to absolutely everyone. I just simply wouldn't have had the space to do it. But, but a lot of significant people have been a part of this horse's journey along the way. Yeah, it, it is. It is a story worth telling, or I suppose retelling uh, in its entirety. Of course, the, the story's not over yet. Uh, he's still racing alligator blood. Just uh, to 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 finish off on what we were discussing before. Not that the decision will be announced today, but an upheld appeal. If if the appeal is upheld and and sustained, it sets a very significant precedent, doesn't for for, uh, for future racing, but also maybe people who've been involved, owners have been involved in decisions in the past. Oh, absolutely, and not just positive swab instances like this. I mean, even process, for, for example, mm. when an owner isn't in the room. I'll give you a great example. So Queensland stewards have, have started asking trainers. I mean, I was in a protest at Eagle Farm on Saturday, which was a, you know, a lot of people thought it was a 50-50 protest. Right at the start of that uh, protest, Josh Adams asked Toby Edmonds, uh, who was one of the trainers involved, and Barry Lockwood, on the record, do you represent... Uh, your owners in this matter and and that that clearly i mean that's that question has never been asked before this this whole alligator blood court matter so that clearly you know i don't know whether that gives them an out under the rules or whatever but i mean we're already seeing that you know the significance of that actually asking trainers if they are representing the owners you know in the matter because it look i mean it's it's a curious one isn't it because I, i can sort of see both sides um i guess if I'm an owner, though, and, and say, if it, say for instance, it was a Cox Plate, a $5 million Cox Plate, and, and I've been stripped of... I've been disqualified. My horse has been disqualified. Uh, aren't I sort of entitled to at least have a say in the matter, um, make some submissions? I, I mean, you can you can make that argument. But I, I, then, I guess, when do you stop? I mean, some horses have hundreds of owners, don't they? So, look, yeah. it's all a bit murky, David, um, but we watch this space and we see what the Supreme Court decides. I think even the owners having a presence at a protest hearing, they may not say they may need not to say anything, but at least if they're there, they can't say they didn't hear all of the evidence on, on both sides. So it is a very interesting... And, and, you know, we've discussed this in the past, but now all of a sudden we're at the at the pointy end. Uh, email coming through. Uh, Dory's alert. Tony from Bowen Hills. How is my mate Ben Dory's going? Any tips? <laughs> this bloke is is is, is spellbound is, by you. Is he really? Wow. Well, 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 hang on. Well, well this is a well, good you... segue. Yeah. <laughs> this this is a good segue to our our next discussion point because you've backed a horse of the Cox Plate at big odds. Now, Tony from Bowdells can't get those odds, but you've backed Victoria Road. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. And I'm going to sound like a bit of a smarty pants here, but um, I did find out the horse was coming, and it's an Aidan O'Brien horse, which was 100 to 1 at the time. So I thought, 
well, if it's an Aiden O'Brien horse, it's definitely coming for the Cox Plate. Uh, it's got reasonable form. It's not like they're not going to give it a run. So I sort of thought, well, uh, at least I'll get a run for my money. And blame me dead, I think it's 7-1 to one now, David. So I can see how this is going to end, by the way. I've had a, <laughs> an each-way bet at 100-1. to one. I can just see how it's going to end. That ho- the horse is going to run magnificently, just be trucking up behind them, cop some interference at about the 100-metre mark and run an unlucky fourth. That's how they always end, isn't it? Listeners, I can tell you he's he's uh, like a cat on a hot tin roof because after past the post yesterday, I said, that's bad luck. Victoria Road's been scratched from the Cox Plate. Well, he nearly fell down. and uh, But he, <laughs> no, he no, knew I was having a making, lead. Of me. You're making that up. I, I'm too smart for you. I knew he, you were. He, he knew that I was joking. Complete, complete smoke train, that was. Just, just on the plate, of course, field tomorrow. Um, of course, the Moonee Valley Racing Club uh, decide the, the, the final field. Romantic Warrior is still a favourite at $4. I think those who are in his in his corner or part of his fan club will be uh, heartened by the fact that he's been out of the valley twice. He worked there this morning. He worked there last week. And James McDonald both times gave a really glowing report, particularly how he handled the track. And that's a key part to a newcomer to the valley, how you handle that, that unusually shaped track with, with its uh, tight turns and short straight. Alligator blood, as we mentioned, He's there ready to rock and roll at $6. Your tip, Victoria, Road at 7 Gold trip, $8. And again, it seems like there's a waiting game. Will they or won't they start on the plate this week? Yeah, I've got to say, David, I reckon it's going to be a cracking Cox plate with a, lot, a very wide-open market and a hell of a lot of chances because, look, you can poke holes in the form of a lot of them, can't you? I mean, Romantic Warrior first up, you know, went no good. Let's face it, it's the $4 favourite. I mean, you can make excuses for it, yes. Alligator Blood, I've probably got to say, is the form horse. Ticked the 2,000-metre box last time. Can he do it again? Probably. But maybe some people might still have that lingering doubt. Victoria Road, um, yes, firm in the market. But, you know, first up in Australia, the European form was good without being sort of blow your socks off sort of stuff. Gold Trip, will he even start? Who knows? Fangirl, uh, 2,000-metre doubt, perhaps, on Fangirl. Uh, Militarised the three-year-old. Um, looms as a real big chance, I think. Um, but again, a three-year-old has to do it. Mr Brightside, um, we know what he can do. And, and King Colorado's probably only just been fair the last few starts. So, look, whatever you like, you can sort of... I reckon you can... I mean, it's not like there's going to be a raging favourite or a raging... No. You know, two top horses in the market and everything else is running for second. I think you can make a case for just about everything. And you can poke holes in the form of just about everything as well. So all that combined, I mean, just just, just have an opinion. Whatever it is, back your opinion. And if you're right, you'll be handsomely rewarded. As I often describe these sort of markets, it's a clustered market because there's seven runners, seven runners between $4 and $9. I, I got to gold trip at eight, but Fangirl, Militarise and Mr Brightside, they share the, the fifth line at $9. And then it's a gap to King Colorado at 17 of course, that market may well change with the draw. But uh, more on the Cox Plate, of course, tomorrow. Uh, the Manicato this time, of course, will be run on Cox Plate Day. And as has been the case now for the last few weeks, there's been little alteration to the the futures market with Imperatries, understandably, a dominant dollar fifty favourite. But the Queenslander Uncommon James, the Queensland Horse of the Year, he shares the second line of betting with IME at $8. You wrote an interesting piece yesterday where Matt Hoisted, the co-trainer, put his hand up and said, I got this wrong with the Uncommon James. Yeah, and good on him. I mean, gee, we don't hear this very often, people admitting they've got things wrong, do they? But good on Matt for putting up his hand. He said, look, the blinkers last time simply didn't work. He thought they would. Uh, they went on for the first time in the Scalacci, but 
look, that horse had its uncommon James had its pants pulled down. Let's face it, by us four, but just charged and was too fresh and too keen and didn't know what the hell was going on uh, with the blinkers. So, look, Matt Hoisted, uh, who co-trains with Stephen O'Day, obviously has taken off the blinkers. Will that fix things? Uh, hopefully. But look, we probably have to wait until tomorrow morning just to make sure that uh, this horse does line up uh, in the Manicato. Because Matt said, look, everything's back on track. The horse is eating well. All the signs are good. But what they don't want is a bad barrier. Um, they, they just want a barrier where they can find some cover. Uh, bearing in mind Imperatrice is there. There's some pretty good horses in this race. So, look, uh, I'd say if this horse draws wide Uncommon James, there is some chance it may be scratched. But we'll have to wait and see. Mm. I'm suggesting to our listeners this morning, I don't often give tips out along, well, a week in advance, but if you're having a better than Manicato on Saturday, you have something on Bella Nipotina, one by four. Have something on at $11 win, but have a good bet on at the place, $2.42. Absolutely low flying, this mare. Ran terrifically in the, in the Sydney Stakes in Sydney. Made ground where it was hard to make ground. She never runs a bad race. It happens to be... a a spot or two of rain about, even better. And she's good at the valley. $2.42 the place. Uh, quickly, one before you go, and this was a story that was uh, released on Racenet last week. We know the, the new Greyhound Complex, the Q Complex, is well on the way to being up and ready to go. So we'll be leaving Albion Park, but we'll, we'll be leaving Ipswich as well. The two clubs combining. The show society said, we'll give you a little kick on the way out, though, in terms of the, the rent for the club and racing queens that aren't playing dice here? Oh, well, look, I've got to say, I've, I've written some stories over the years where I've just blinked and sort of thought, oh, what's, what the hell is this about? But this is right in the kooky, 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 kooky basket. So the Ipswich Show Society has rented, um, you know, the grounds out there to the club uh, in previous years, now racing Queensland. I think the rent annually has been about $160,000 and um, they ask for, for, for more money in the final year before they go to the, the new facility and Racing Queensland I think agreed to a, a rental increase of about 40% for a final one year instalment but out <laughs> in the blue the Ipswich Show Society I can't stop laughing as I say this ask for $12 million like just this one off good grass payment because they've been good landlords for the last 40 years. I'm sure they've been great landlords, but I mean, that's, I, look, I'm renting a house at the moment. That's <laughs> sort of like, you know, I'm, you know imagine, imagine me moving out saying, look, I've, or, or the, the landlord saying, you, you've been a good tenant, but, uh, you know, uh, you know, here's a million dollars on the way. I mean, honestly, it's ridiculous. It is completely ridiculous. It smacks of sort of just a cash grab. And Jason Scott rightly, the racing Queensland boss, has told the show society to tell their story walking. And if he has to, uh, he will run in that probably year period uh, until the, the new um, facility is up and running. He'll run those Ipswich meetings at Albion Park and Capella Bar and maybe even Townsville. And I gather, I haven't spoken to any of them, but I gather the uh, Greyhound people out at Ipswich say, good on him, don't don't give the show society another sense. So anyway, hopefully it can be solved. But uh, yeah, there's silly stuff if you ask me. Do you, do you have a gut feeling that there might be a compromise or do you reckon that it's gone too far? Well, I touched base with Jason Scott this morning. Um, the story remains as it was last week, so you would have thought if it was going to be sorted out, it would be sorted out. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know where they come up with $12 million for. I mean, I'm sure they have been terrific landlords and done a mighty fine job out there, but, I mean, do you get $12 bucks for that out of the blue? I, I've never heard of anything like yeah. it personally. So, um, T- anyway, Tony from we, Bowen Hills we, has said, Tony from Bowen Hills has said, done, 
I'll get onto it today. Victoria Park. It's Victoria Road, Tony, not Victoria Park. So just give the name. <laughs> make sure you mark the right ticket. Uh, I can see what's going to happen here, Tony. Be careful, my son. Be careful. I've got the huge overs. It'll run an unlucky fourth. that almost bet my life on it. Same thing actually happened to me just just quickly on my wedding day, David, in 2015. Uh, I backed a horse called Sovereign Nation about three months out or two months out at 100 to 1. I had 100 each way in it, and I think it started at $19 or something like that. My wedding pictures were being taken at Cabarita, and I had to duck away to watch the race on my phone. Had it going for a fortune. Where do you think Sovereign Road run in in that Caulfield Guinness? Fourth. Fourth. They don't run fifth, or they run fourth. (laughs) Fourth. My good friend Beach Boy is listening, knows all about that for the place. Good on you, Ben. Talk soon. Thanks, Tony. Ben Dorries joining us this morning. Ray Thomas is on the line. Ray, good morning. Good morning, David, and good morning, everyone. We start with sad news, the passing yesterday of what could very clearly be described as a trailblazing woman in racing. Yeah, Betty Lane, and uh, for anyone in racing who is aware of Betty, those words of yours, David, 100% correct. She is a woman who did blaze the trail for uh, women in racing, particularly trainers, and um, sadly she passed away yesterday, age 97, but what a legacy she has left for the sport um, going forward. A remarkable woman, um, she had to beat the odds, so to speak, to even get a licence to train. Um, she was told by the, the then AJC, which uh, ran the sport back in 1962 when she first applied, David, she was told uh, in no uncertain terms, Miss Lane, we do not licence women. Have a good day. And she had to wait another, almost a decade before finally getting a licence and then um, she trained alongside legends like Tommy Smith, Bart Cummings, Neville Begg, and certainly um, has left a, a wonderful legacy to the sport. Yes, yeah, certainly so, uh, 97 years of age. Hey, uh, Ray, on a brighter note, uh, yesterday as well, we celebrated a birthday, and our good friend Johnny Tapp turned 82 <laughs> years young yesterday, still going strong, of course, a, a great race broadcaster, a great ambassador for racing, uh, played so many roles in his is 50 years in the media, but uh, still going strong with it, with his podcast, his Twitter site, and, of course, recently a race named after him and Ian Craig. So, to Johnny, yeah. uh, great, great day, 82 years young yesterday. I spoke to him this morning briefly just to let him know about Betty Lane, um, and he's actually, he did a podcast with Betty a few years back that he's mm. going to put back on his website in the next few days, he told me, but... Um, he did say, David, that um, thanks for the, uh, the birthday wishes. But he's trying to keep it quiet these days. But uh, great man, still very much on top of his game, isn't he, John? And um, for those who haven't seen his website, it's certainly worth visiting. And he does talk to all the major players in racing. And uh, uh, you learn a lot when you spend five minutes with John Tapp, David, don't you? Certainly so. We'll talk about... Uh the, the racing soon. We'll talk about Saturday and talk about next Saturday in Sydney. But I just wanted to discuss the the issue that that your colleague Mitch Cohen brought up in the in the Sunday Telegraph yesterday, and it led his column regarding tracks and the firmness of tracks. And the man who was speaking is a man who has to be listened to because, of course, it was it was Chris Waller. And uh, Chris, I think it is a, a video that goes out to owners made mention of the the firmness of the tracks in Sydney in recent times and I suppose particularly mentioned the Kenzo track where he said basically if you're first out you're first home but uh, 
look, it's an issue that, that isn't going away. And I can, can like it with us, Ray, when we were growing up in racing, it was rarely talked about uh, uh, because we didn't have the, the figure rating. We just had fast, good, um, dead, uh, slow and heavy. They were the ratings. Yeah. There was no figure attached to them. But you never blinked if the track was fast and you expected a fast track in the summertime. But times have changed, Ray, haven't they? Yeah, we didn't have movable rails back then either, did we, David? No. So jockeys rode, rode to the track as they saw it. Um, look, when Chris Waller does speak, you often often think about an issue like this, and he would have thought long and hard. He doesn't waste words, Chris. So, um, And I dare say he's coming from an issue of equine welfare and looking after the horse. All trainers these days are so conscious of that. Um, for a number of years, David, we were talking about how wet the Sydney tracks were and the consistent rain. I, I saw some figures on the news last night. Um, we've had uh, only 16 mils of rain uh, so far in October. The average is about 80. Last year to this point, we'd had 280 mils. Bottom line is we're back into a drought here in Sydney. The tracks are particularly firm. Um, uh, for track managers, they're damned if they do, damned if they don't. If they put too much water on, um, then they get accused of, quote, doctoring the tracks. If they don't put enough water on, they're too firm. So it, it is a, a difficult scenario now for track managers going forward, and we're just entering this period where I think it's going to get worse, uh, David, where we're going to get a lot more hot weather. Um, there's no rain in sight for almost right through summer, so... How track managers in Sydney, indeed around New South Wales and other areas of the nation, um, combat this and try and provide a surface that is both um, safe and indeed a fair surface is going to be a difficult challenge for them. And I can see where Chris Waller is coming from. Um, the safety of the horses is paramount, but it's just so difficult now, given we're in this period of, of extended dry weather and it's going to get warmer and warmer now, David. I think, uh, to, to sum it up, it is a really fine balancing act. And, yes, mm -hmm. to use your words, a really difficult challenge for, for track managers. And, um, uh, you know, I, I think, which was said in, in Mitch's article yesterday, like the way weather conditions can change, and we know that can happen. Like, you think yeah. it's going to be a 26-degree day? It was 31. I think that was the, the, figures, the figures quoted yesterday. Uh, you put a certain amount of irrigation on. All of a sudden, there's a storm on the on the Friday night or on the Saturday. So, to get the to get the right product is not easy. It works most of the time, but it doesn't work some of the time. But but I, I, I'm just wondering uh, in the present climate, and when you've got someone of Waller's stature and caliber making the comment, and, and to to be very fair to Chris Waller, uh, he doesn't uh, he uses his words economically, mm. and he only speaks when he feels he needs to speak. So for him to yep bring this out, it's obviously of a particular concern to him. So it would be a concern to other trainers. Uh, his word would would spread wide. I'm wondering, you know, are we going to get to the situation where we're preparing tracks for a soft five rather than a good four? You know what I mean? Yeah, and going into the warmer months, which is happening now, obviously, I think that's probably the scenario we're going to see more often than not because it will dry out very, very quickly um, as we get into the summer months. So that might be the case. And and I, I dare say David track managers may have to do that just to provide a safe surface. But then we get the alternative view. And I won't mention names, but there's a number of, 
of punters and bookmakers and um, etc. who think it's an outdoor sport. If we get a, a good two, so be it. Um, but I think in this era of uh, where equine welfare is such an important issue, I think first and foremost, um, track managers like the rest of the sport have to take into account the safety of, of the horses um, when preparing their services. Yeah, certainly so. Just want to mention one thing out of Saturday. Two of the the, the, the feature winners or, or main race winners, of course, Palmetto won the, the Five Diamonds Prelude and Unspoken's a horse really has really hit his straps and he won mm. the Falante. But it's interesting, Rose, um, as people who work in the media, you know, we're looking at a lot of form, we look at a lot of videos, um, uh, people who bet on the, this product professionally, established ratings and the like. But I think sometimes we lose sight of the fact that they're not machines, they're animals. And I think Palmetto and Unspoken are two good cases in point. Their first campaigns in Australia were average, particularly Palmetto. I spoke with John Sargent yesterday and I was trying to be kind. He said, don't be kind. He said, it was worse than what you said. He said, I thought, what have we got here? But it goes to show that they're, 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 they're animals. Uh, there's a lot of factors involved, acclimatisation, different training routines. Mm. But the bottom line is if they've got the ability, they should eventually show up. But they, 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 they match up in ways that both of their, their first preps were nothing outstanding. Yeah, and I'm sure John might have told you, as he told us yesterday morning on Sydney Radio, that when he first saw Palmetto, he thought, oh, no. He, he, he likened him to a, a, a European stay, a very light um, condition, um, a lean frame, needed a lot of developing. Um, so in time, that horse has developed and also adapted to the different way of training in Australia, which is what Team Snowden has said about unspoken often see these imports, they take a, a preparation or two to find their feet, so to speak, but also to put on the condition and, and just evolve naturally to the Australian method of training. And Unspoken's a, a case in point because he's a horse who, who was struggling a little but now has hit a rich vein of form. Three in a row this prep, all being quite impressive wins. The best was last Saturday when he was left in front almost by default. Um, David, but he he just framed that field and won the Fuente very very easily. Goes into the Five Diamonds up to eighteen hundred, which will suit him more. Same thing with Palmetto, better suited going to eighteen hundred metres and into stables where they, the trainers have given these horses the opportunity and the time to develop, which is so important. They could rush them and even discard them and send them into state, but they persevered and they're reaping the rewards. And I dare say. Uh, David, for connections of both Unspoken and Palmetto, the best is yet to come. We've talked uh, in the last few weeks about how this could be a really good, a really intriguing Jockeys Metro Premiership this year. I think currently McDonald and Rowilla are level picking on 20. It's worth also mentioning the training side of things where Gay Waterhouse and Adrian Bott on the Metro Premiership at 28, leading Waller at 24. Now, we're still working off a relatively small sample or about a quarter of the yeah. way through the racing season but it is interesting and the question I put to you this morning is can Waterhouse and Bot sustain this or will Waller's bigger numbers eventually go by them? Yeah almost three months into the season and I think if you had have asked um, the odds makers at the start of the season August 1 who'd be leading the premiership at the end of August it'd be no betting it would be Chris Waller by a fair margin so 
the fact that Gay Waterhouse and Adrian Bott have had such a tremendous start to the season and still have that four-win lead going deep into October is surprising. But I actually went back to uh, the tab last week to their main price assessor, Tim Ryan, and put to him, um, would you frame a market now on the Sydney Trainer Premiership outcome, given we're almost a quarter of the way through the season and Tullock Lodge is still in front? Um, they don't do it most years, haven't done it for many years because they believe it's a foregone conclusion. Tim's words to, were to me, no, I'll have a look at it again in January. His belief is that once the carnival is over, we go into the summer months particularly, and then also the winter months uh, at the back end of the season next year. That's when Chris Waller is particularly dominant through, as you said, David, sheer weight of numbers. So, mm. But I, I find quite intriguing that again, Adrian still have that little four-win buffer and they're preparing winners almost every meeting. Had a great start to the season, but you would think um, in a few more weeks' time, Chris will assume that top position and will continue on and, and maintain his dominance in the, the Sydney Trainers Premiership. We'll watch it with interest. Of course, on Saturday, the Group 1 is the Spring Champion Stakes, 2,000 metres. Gee, Tom Kitten's a dominant favourite on, on tab fix, $2.50. Adam Hieronymus will ride. Uh, it, it's $8 away from him. Uh, your thoughts, does he have such a grip on the race, as the market is telling us? I think he's a deserved favourite, but maybe probably a fraction short for my mind. But in saying that, his run on the claiming was quite extraordinary, wasn't it? Given the times they ran and Rafatak just hung on to win and he was storming down the outside. He almost got detached, didn't they, the back markers in that race? Um, the leaders were so far in front. So you would expect in the in the spring champion going out to 2,000 metres, they probably won't go quite as hard, but you, you just don't know. But I'm sure Tom Kitten will be closer than he was in the gloaming, and that, that does um, lend him to the favouritism and bring the horse to beat. But it's a pretty competitive race. I, I didn't mind a horse called Glad You Think So. I think he's a horse looking for 2,000 metres. He was riding the mix there in the gloaming, finishing fifth, beaten less than a length, and he's at $15. I think he's overs. But it's that sort of race, uh, David, really competitive spring champion. But to your point, Tom Kitten deserves to be favoured, probably just a touch under this morning. The invitation, of course, is for uh, mares, 1,400 metres, a, a $2 million purse. SB8 is the favourite, $3.50. I look back at her Everest run. She was actually following Think About It, and then a gap came between, I think, Think About It and Private Eye. There wasn't a lot of room, but, but on balance, mm. it's probably fair to say she wasn't going fast enough to take advantage of the gap and then she held her ground she was beaten just under three lengths but you'd have to say that's the the superior form line to what she's opposed against to on saturday so this looks a good race for her she she heads the markets yeah she's flying and uh, i think hugh bowman's words for connections post the everest was i was very proud of your mare she ran a terrific race and if you go through all the time she's gone a tick over 108 we, um, which is, uh, you know, as fast as they go around Randwick, and she's run seventh. That, that's the depth of that race, isn't it, um, David? That going to 1,400 metres will suit her. I think we'll see an improved run from a horse like Alcohol Free. They just went too fast for her um, in the Everest. Maybe she needs 14, even a mile. Um, the final field for that race hasn't been um, determined just yet. I think today we may hear from Godolphin if they're going to lock in Paris Hill. I think it's pretty certain to get a run, etc. So, um, interesting race. Espiona deserved favourite. Magic time was brilliant at Rose Hill last start. Graham Begg stable. She's a really talented mare. 
and Opal Ridge was good in the Kosciuszko running second, so a really deep race. And, of course, the Calendar Presnell, uh, named in honour of two great journalists, still alive and kicking and, and going strongly. Uh, this is uh, Group 2 for the three-year-olds, a million-dollar race. Arctic Glamour, $2.50, lightly race. I think she runs here and then goes to the 1,000 guineas. Is that right? Yeah, that's the plan, the 1,000 guineas at the back end of the Melbourne Spring Carnival, the ultimate aim for her. She's a real talent, and uh, she'll be the definite favourite for the calendar present. I've spoken to both those two esteemed gentlemen. David, for a story I want to do later in the week, and love talking to Max and Ken. Uh, Max is always at the races in Sydney each and every Saturday. Ken missed the initial calendar present last year due to, due to health issues, but he's assured me he'll... He'll be there on Saturday and we'll be looking forward to it. And a bit like John Tapp, when you get five minutes with those two men talking about old times, you, you wish it could be five hours. They, they've got some stories, David. They certainly have. I look forward to reading that later in the week. We've had a good uh, chat, Ray. Thanks for your time this morning. Thanks so much, David. Ray Thomas joining us this morning. A listener writes in, Good morning, David. With all this talk regarding dry tracks, we know the challenges we face up here with Eagle Farm and the quickness of its drying capability. Now, as we trial the 10-race program here, do you think we could look at watering the track halfway through the card? The best races on the program and highest turnover races are always races 8 and 9, and surely from a turnover and racing perspective, we need to have the track racing at its best for those races. A 20- to 30-minute water after race 5 surely would only help the track. It probably would, but I think that then moves into the realms of of um, doctoring the track. I mean... Uh, you know, possibly advantaging those in the second half of the program. Know where you're coming from. Don't think they would get up. Matt Wilson writes to me too about the 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 time lag uh, being at the races at uh, the BRC meetings and then uh, watching the parade, but then going to have a bet and all of a sudden the race is closed, but the TV shows them still in the barriers ready to jump. The the, the problem here is this has to. I will work on this, Matt. I'm I'm glad you addressed this because it's a problem. We need all television sets at BRC meetings to be in real time, not sky time, which, of course, there is a, a lag. There's a delay. So we need the TVs right around the tracks on real time. So what is happening on the track, you're seeing off the track as well. So we'll work on that, Matt, for you. Let's take a break here on Press Room and back with Ben Scadden on the other side. You're listening to Press Room with David Fowler on Radio Tab. If it's Equine or Canine, your one-stop shop is Garrard's Horse and Hound. They've got 13 stores across Australia and New Zealand. Garrard's Horse and Hound stock all of the big names and they provide the very best inventory services. Now, you can buy the products online, horseandhound.com.au, horseandhound.com.au or there's a free call number, 1800 060 896, 1800 060896. Garrett's Horse and Hound, of course, present Press Room each Monday morning. Let's say good morning to Ben Scattered in Adelaide. How are you, Ben? Yeah, David, I'm very well. Sun shining, so can't complain. Good to hear. Just one off the, 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 the top of my head, and, and probably a, a question without notice. I was watching the, the Sky coverage yesterday whilst I was in the studio at Ann Street, and I noticed that the harness racing meeting was at Gawler. Nice, big, yep. spacious track. Why is this track not used more often? I don't understand it. Um, yeah, it's an interesting one. They they haven't got lights, so I guess that's that's part of the the challenge. But the facilities there are certainly good. They trial there regularly, race there occasionally. Um, look, it's it's not set up to host a huge number of people, but we don't need 
facilities for a huge number of people because you don't go to a huge number of people to harness racing meetings live nowadays. So, um, yeah, it's an interesting one. I think there's certainly scope for it to be used more often. It's not a long way away from, from the main centre there at Globe Derby. So, um, you know, it'd, it'd be pulling from the same pool of trainers um, and horses and those kind of things. But, yeah, there certainly wouldn't be any harm in, in racing there more often. I know they've they've worked pretty hard, that club, to see if there was a way they could get lights put in. Um, but, yeah, haven't had much success there. There's an old hardest racing journey. You remember, of course, Gawler was once the number two tractor Globe Derby and raced, I think they raced yeah. the most uh, fr- Friday, Friday nights. It was a 700-metre track with lights. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. They raced there, yep, as you said, most Fridays. Tuesdays was re- reasonably common as well. They used to rotate between Gawler and Capunda on a Tuesday quite a lot back in the day. So, yeah, but time has certainly changed since then. And as you know, we pretty much see almost all our harness racing at Glade Derby or, you know, occasionally they um, they race in Port Perry during the during the right time of year and also down in the southeast around Mount Gambia too. Richard and Chantel Jolly are going great guns, and it was a good day for them at yeah. Morfordville on Saturday. Yeah, it was. They had they had three winners. Pretty highlight the the amazing um, relationship between um, Richard and Chantel Jolly and uh, Price Bloodstock. David Price, who's based in Hong Kong, big owner over there, um, races a lot of horses. I heard on Saturday that. Um, Richard and Chantel Jolly have more than 30 horses on their books for David Price. So, um, yeah, that's a very significant portion of their stable. And, look, they get amazing results. They had a had a double on Saturday for uh, for Price Budstock and both have got really promising horses. I thought um, Deepfoot Diva in particular, I thought he was he was really good. He's a um, he's a he's a very lightly raced three-year-old by Deep Fielder. Gilding's had the two starts, won them both in impressive fashion. Pretty strong field, I thought, on Saturday as well. He beat Wiggum and Kinetic Jewel. Um, there was talk that he would have would have been headed to Hong Kong, but good news for Richard and Chantua Jolly, he didn't pass the very stringent veterinary examination that they need to undergo before being sent to Hong Kong. He failed that test. I don't know exactly what went wrong, but, um, you know, clearly the horse is sound enough to be racing and racing very competitively, but didn't make it to Hong Kong, so that's a that's a very positive um, piece of news for Richard and Chantel Jolly and the uh, the filly Aviatris. I thought she was really good as well. She was a she's a strong winner again. She's ha- only had the two starts. She's a smart missile filly. Won them both in impressive fashion. They both got a lot of upside. I think um, Deepfield Diva in particular, Deep Flight Diva in particular. I think he's um, yeah he could be heading heading for some much better races. I I heard them talk about him after the race on Saturday and. So I've got a pretty good opinion of him. I think he's he's headed for better races, and and they're certainly a stable who knows what it takes to win better races. They also won a race for uh, for uh, Darren Thomas's Seymour Bloodstock Pudding one as well. So three winners for uh, Richard and Chantel Jolly and the stable jockey Jake Toroke. So yeah, a really big day for them all round. Yeah, he hadn't been quite up to scratch Pudding so far this campaign, but I suppose he was racing in good races. He ran in the Leon McDonald, the Balaclava Cup, Murraybridge Cup. Was probably an easier assignment there on Saturday, but yes, yeah, it was, was a, go on. It was a softer race for him, no doubt. Yep, yeah, I thought on Saturday. I want to talk about a couple of apprentices. One who, of course, created a great impression when she arrived from Kiwi Lab was Kelsey Haddon, but uh, she struck a, a nasty blow, so to speak. Yeah, that's right. And I kind of don't know how this one kind of slipped slipped past me because I was thinking, gee, I don't know why Kelsey Hannah's not riding at the moment. And then we found out that she, uh, yeah, she had some bad luck in a track work incident more than a week ago now. Um, 
yeah, she she actually broke her jaw and she's um she's returned to New Zealand because it's going to take a lot of convalescing, a lot of recovery for her to be back ready to ride again. She uh, she said with a smile that she's uh, she's on a liquid diet for about six weeks. So um, yeah, not much fun for her, but no point in her sitting around in South in South Australia and Adelaide. So she's headed back home. Um, she'll be there for a while, but she said I'll be back. Um, so there's plenty of unfinished business here in South Australia. So. Kelsey said she will return it when once she's that jaw is fully mended and healed. She'll be heading back to Adelaide to uh, continue on, hopefully her winning way. She had a, had an amazing run there for a while. She rode seven winners and wasn't here for very long at all. And she rode rode a few in a in a real hurry early on. Um, she had a lot of opportunities. She kind of showed that she's a you know very very high quality jockey. So she does head back here. She got opportunity straight away, and you, you'd expect she'd be successful. And some uh, speaking of uh, jockeys and apprentices, some news regarding Felicity Atkinson. Yeah, so she's a promising young apprentice, Felicity, and um, yeah, she's going to be out of the out of the saddle for a reason. Why you would expect she uh, she fell uh, she had a fall on the way to the barriers at Port Lincoln just over a week ago, and she unfortunately ended up fracturing both her wrist and an ankle. I know the ankle's um, been operated on. I think the wrist is one of those things that can set and heal by itself, but the ankle required surgery yeah so she's going to, unfortunately going to be out of the saddle for a for a period of time which is bad luck for her so yeah a couple of apprentices um off the scene for an extended period plenty of other apprentices here in south australia i guess who will step up and uh, make the most of their opportunities well, we've had the highly successful balaclava cup which is of course always run in mid-september the murray bridge cup was run for the first time on a saturday this year in early october the gawler cup is now coming up this week yeah, that's right, over 1,500 metres worth a bit over 100,000, 107,000, I think is the official prize money for that race on Friday. As long as the weather's OK, they'll get an absolutely cracking crowd there at Gawler. They do a, do a wonderful job in terms of attracting locals to their, uh, to their major meetings. Um, I'm sure there'll be a lot of the, uh, the Gawler businesses, and Gawler's a is virtually like an outer suburb of Adelaide nowadays. There's, um, it's very popular and it's a, it's a really growing area. So, yeah, I'd expect they get a really good crowd there on Friday. Noms close at lunchtime today. So it'll be interesting to see which horses are going around um, in the Gawler Cup. You'd expect it to be a similar group to what we've seen in races like the Murray Bridge Cup and, and also the Balaclava Cup because they're all basically over a, over a mile and the same kind of grade of horses. So, yeah, it will be interesting to see if... Um, See if any horses from interstate choose to head across here as well. That always adds a little bit of extra interest, but no doubt it'll be a, a deep field. Um, should be a great day's racing on Friday. Thanks, Ben. Thanks for your time this morning. Thanks, David. Of course, only a fortnight of the Melbourne Cup tomorrow. The latest tab fixed market, Vauban, $4.50. Gold trip at $5 without a fight. He's going to the Cup after winning the Caulfield Cup. He's at $7. Solcombe. Rounds out the single figure runners market wise at nine dollars, then break up at thirteen, and Luna Flair at fifteen dollars. As far as the Golden Eagle is concerned, this market is somewhat fluid because um, a decision will be made about Amelia's jewel over the next twenty-four to forty-eight hours, and she heads the quotes in the Golden Eagle at four dollars fifty. Hawaii Five O Kovalika and the Kiwi Legato, their co-second favourites at six dollars. And Obama Barai is at $8, and then double figures for the rest. There's some fixed odds markets. They're all up there. Just go to the TAB website and check out all of the feature racing over the next few weeks. Colin McNiff joins us now to round our press room for this morning. Colin, good morning. Good morning, David. 
You gave us the tip that Bello Bow would trial well and duly won at the dollar thirty five at Lonnie last Wednesday night. I haven't seen the race. I see the margin wasn't great. No, it was only a very close margin. It was a neck on the line. But uh, look, looking at Bello Bow as he uh, paraded, you thought he, whatever he does tonight, he, he's certainly going to improve on. He's got uh, a campaign in front of him, and Adam Trinder never has his horses a hundred percent when they're racing mm. first up from a spell. But he jumped beautifully. He led Serene Striker who's a very good mare and was uh, named the racehorse uh, or race mare of the uh, season for last season here in Tasmania. She sat outside. She probably got her head in front of the 200-metre mark, but he kicked and kicked strongly. It was a very good win, very good second by Serene Striker. They looked at the uh, obvious two in the race. Really good performance. Adam Trimser said after the race that he's likely to go on now to the new market handicap next month and the conquering. They're probably his two main targets coming up this uh, this season. So good performance. He will improve. There's no doubt about that. He's only had the 12 starts. He's won on seven occasions. And I think as a four-year-old, we're going to see the absolute best of him this campaign. Is he headed towards your summer carnival? Yes, yes. Uh, the summer carnival with the new market, uh, the conquering uh, at weight for ages maybe one or two other races. I don't think Adam's going to be tempted to take him across to Melbourne at this stage. Right. There was another winner on that program at short odds as well that uh, may also be headed towards the sun. Mm. Yeah, Azuma, one trained by Barry Campbell, a three-year-old filly. She's only had the four starts. She's won on two occasions. And uh, she led, she was a bit all at sea, uh, rider Anthony Darmanin said after the race that she wasn't happy leading, but there was no pace on and he had no other real options. And she stargazed a bit, but she hit the line very nicely. Uh, that was after a really good second of her, her first up run a couple of weeks earlier. So she's going along nicely. And Barry Campbell thinks she might stretch out to 1,600 metres and make an ideal 1,000 guineas type horse. So she's got some uh, spring riches or some summer riches uh, in her sights as well. Well, from the harness racing point of view, uh, of course, Tasmania was hosting the Australia Young Drivers Championship and we couldn't get through the night. Unfortunately, no. We had uh, quite a, a weather event here in Tasmania right over the state on Saturday night. It hit Launceston before it, it hit Hobart, but it was right in the middle of this uh, this night racing uh, meeting uh, with the Australian Drivers Championship being decided. They only got four heats, uh, run and one, and uh, the last three races were unfortunately called off, but... As it stands, Nathan Dawson has been declared the winner and the second time that Queensland has won the championship when it's been staged here in Launceston. The last time was 2015. Grant Dixon was the winner on that occasion and with 47 points from the heats that were decided, from the four heats decided, Nathan Dawson was declared the winner. But, yeah, the meeting brought to an abrupt halt and then I can tell you uh, that weather, I've never seen, uh, it's been many a year since I've uh, heard thunder and uh, seen lightning like it that uh, hit Hobart uh, at about 11 o'clock that night. It was uh, quite incredible. Mm. Well, it can be strange everywhere these days. And mm. um, speaking of Launceston, uh, you're racing there Friday night. This will be good because, of course, it, it uh, matches up with the, the meeting of the Valley. Yes, we had um, had this meeting uh, 12 months ago. It was very successful. So, uh, again, the, uh, the Tasmanian Turf Club Racing Tasmania uh, hoping for a similar outcome this week. It's the Flinders Island Cup meeting. It's a, a big charity fundraiser for cancer awareness and a lot of people get along. I think they raised forty or $50,000 for the charity last year and no doubt they'll be hoping to increase on that figure this Friday night. Fields of or nominations, of course, not out until a little later on this morning, but uh, everybody expecting big fields to be run under light and a big crowd to come along, as you say, coincides with the Cox Plate Eve uh, meetings uh, elsewhere and, uh, yeah, Hopefully weather's good and a big crowd and some good racing on Friday night. Excellent work. Thanks, Colin. Cheers. Thanks, David.
Colin McNiff joining us on Press Room this morning, and that is Press Room for Monday, the 23rd of October. Hope you enjoyed the show. Thanks for all of our contributors, and look forward to your company again next Monday. Have a good day. Bye-bye.